Well, I'm a man of my word. I want all of you to know that. I did. We're not, we're not having sla- uh, snacks today. But I did say I would take care of your lunch. And I did bring it, believe it or not. Now, I might, let me see where it is. Oh, here it is. It's called the bread of life. See, The bread of life. And that's why it sustains us anyway, isn't it? That God wants us to come together. Not only to enjoy this day as well, but it's a serious time for us. We understand that. We know it's the day of uh, covering our sins, called Yom Kippur. The, you know, Jews recognize this day as the highest day of the ten days they celebrate. And what they do, they go to church on, on, on the synagogue in the morning and the afternoon, and they confess, they pray, and they confess their sins, and they read from the Torah. They don't brush their teeth. They don't take a bath. They don't believe in doing anything. So you can imagine when they get around with each other, you know, they're, how's everything going today, huh? Having a good time today. So they make that day a day that's, uh, you know, the people dread. Now, most of our children used to dread and call this the old starvation day. But it is a unique day. Of all the feasts, God has put his church on a fast before we go to the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a fast day for us. Not only is it a fast day, but it's something that God commands us to do, so he doesn't have to do it. We have to chasten ourselves, you see. We have to beat down the self. We have to do all of these things other than just come before him empty. There's also this chastening self, beating down the self, recognizing what we are. And God wants us to do that as well on on this day. So I hope all of you are having a wonderful day of atonement. And I know that most of us have prayed more today. We probably studied more today. We probably meditated more today. So it's not a day of weakness. It's a day of power. God gives us the power as we go to the Feast of Tabernacles, the power to love each other, the power to serve each other. You see, the power to listen to the sermons, we have that power. And God is an all-powerful God. And we have the power to love that elevates us during the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's what God wants us all to understand, how important this fifth step in His plan is. Do you know, brethren, without this day, there would be no millennium at all? Without this day, the fulfillment of this day, there's no millennium. You can't serve two gods as we know that and understand that. So he's given us these festivals to remind us of our salvation, the glorious salvation, and we have to be reminded of it, and we tend to forget it until that day comes and we're reminded of that day, what it means to us individually, just like what it's going to mean to us in the tomorrow's world individually, our reward ready to step into a new government, a new system that people have never heard before, usher in the government of God, offer God's spirit, God's truth for the first time in mankind. So this is going to be the happiest day probably the world has ever known. When Satan is bound, people will be happy to understand that when they're set free from him, from all of his broadcasting, his hate, his jealousy, his envy, how he broadcasts. All of that in the air, and people are hooked on that. 
And they don't quite understand yet, and they will understand when that time comes. You know, brethren, we serve an intelligent God. He deals with us in an intelligent way. Now, just think about this. When you keep the days of the world, the holidays out there, you learn absolutely nothing. Now, can you imagine if God were to command us on December the 31st at sundown, I want you to start watching the clock and be ready for the stroke of 12. And when that stroke comes, that's the old year passing out and the new year is coming. And I want you to yell, Happy New Year, everybody. Shoot off cherry bombs, firecrackers, Roman candles. Get drunk. Dance in the street. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> then on the second month in February, I want you to send a heart to your favorite Valentine. Be sure to get a box of candy shaped like a heart. Send it to your valentine and ask her to be your valentine. Thus saith the Lord. Now, in the last week or so of Easter or the beginning it's somewhere in April, it's Easter Sunday. You will call it Easter Sunday. I expect all of you to go to the mountain before sunrise and watch the sun come up. And I want all of you to dress your little sweet daughters in an Easter dress with a bonnet. Give them a basket, and your sons put on a little bow tie, and let them find eggs that we will hide, and the winner will receive a chocolate rabbit. So I want you to remember on that day, eggs and rabbits, thus saith the Lord. Now, on October the 31st, I want all of you to dress up your little kids to look like demons, to be as ugly as they can. Some can look like Lady Gaga. And you take them around and you knock on the door and you say, trick or treat. And they'll come so how, how sweet and they'll give you candy. Then after October 31st, I want you to start playing music. It's called Christmas music. And I want you to put it in every shopping center on all radio stations. And you sing, Here Comes Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or Here Comes Santa Claus, or all, you, you sing all these songs until you drive everybody crazy. See, until they drink a lot. And also, I want you to get a tree. Decorate that tree. The color of red or whatever and put an angel on or star on top. Put presents under that tree and tell your children that Santa Claus is coming. If you be good, he'll bring your present. Thus saith the Lord. Now, what if God were to command us to do that? We see how silly and how stupid all that is. All that, it teaches nothing. And yet the world thinks we're crazy because we keep the holy days. And we think they're crazy because they keep those days. So we have nothing in common, do we? There's no way we could ever become like the world. The world ever become like this unless they give up their way of life and adapt God's way of life. 
as he would have us to. So you see, God is an intelligent God. When he gives us these holy days, we know the meaning of them. He deals with us in an intelligent way. So we need to be thankful that we know a God like this. See, that we don't make up God, we know God. In Proverbs chapter 9, if you'll turn there to Proverbs 9. Verse 9, give instructions to a wise man and he will be still wiser. So a wise person listens to the teacher who is wise. God has given the teacher wise, and for us to become wise, we have to become like the teacher. We have to listen to the teacher. And if any of us ever rise above the teacher, we have no teacher. Look what happened to Lucifer. God was his teacher. He rose up above God. Now he's the teacher. Now look at his teachings. What does he teach? So you can only instruct a wise person. And he will be wiser because he comes to church to learn how to be wise, how to make wise decisions, how to understand his life, how to overcome, how to grow, how to prosper. It's all in that book of life that we have. Every answer is there for us if we will listen to the teacher who's experienced a lot of it. So he's going to increase in learning. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, see, of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One, or holy time, is understanding. So this is holy time, and we understand that this day pictures the putting away of Satan. That he is gone for that thousand years. We understand that. We're wise in that. We can explain that. That's why we like the Day of Atonement. That's why we cannot just sleep it away. We cannot dread it. You dread seeing Satan put away? You dread that? Or will you be happy when he's put away? So it is a feast day, isn't it? But it's a unique day, unique feast day that God has given us uh, to understand. So let's go back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. I noticed they didn't put me in the water up here, so. In verse 24 of Leviticus 23, God is telling Moses, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, which we just observed Ten days ago. Then verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement, the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls. So you see, brethren, that is the command. Not only are we to abstain from water and food, we are to afflict ourselves as well. And we do that by abstaining from food and water. Soul is flesh, you know, it's nephesh, it's physical. We have to have food and water to stay in the life. And the more we do without, the more humble we are. And the more we search for food. As we do without food and water, 
And I don't know if you've ever gone, how many days you've ever gone, but, you know, after about the third day, you really don't get hungry or thirsty. You feel stronger, spiritually speaking, because you're beating down the self who craves physical things, who wants to be exalted. And we begin to chasten ourselves. You know, the word here for afflict is A-N-A-H, which means to chasten oneself, beat down self, Humble oneself and be teachable. The key is, brethren, this day is we must be taught. Be teachable of God's word. Just not come empty of food and drink. As we heard, there are thousands, uh, millions probably going today without food and drink. But we are to learn something from this fast. We will learn to chasten self. Instead of God having to chasten us, he says for us to chasten self. See, us. Now, God can chasten us with holding, uh, withholding uh, whole food from us. But he says here that we are physical. We depend on physical stuff. But God wants us to depend on him for the spiritual, and he will give us the physical in time, you see, when it's good for us. And so far, I don't think many of us are missing too many meals, see, at all. And you should do no work on that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul or that same day shall be cut off from the people. And so it's important, brethren, isn't it, that this is obeyed, that we are to fast and we are to come before God humble and teachable. If not, we'll be cut off. See, we'll be cut off from it because we have not learned the lesson of what this day pictures. If we're going to be kings and priests, we've got to learn what this day pictures for us as well. Any person who does not work on, does work on this, that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. So we don't have to get up. We don't have to cook. You see, there's nothing, no real work to do, maybe except take a bath, brush, Well, you can brush your teeth or whatever. You shall do no manner of work. Verse 31, he states it over. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. Now, this verse 32, I want to bring your attention to. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And that's the only day that is saying it shall be a solemn rest. Serious, you see. A serious rest for us. As well, and you know, a solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Now, other places where it talks about Sabbath, it just talks about a Sabbath of rest. But here it talks about a, so- a Sabbath of solemn, of solemn arrest, arrest for God's people. That we are to be serious, take not take it for granted. That's how we keep it, a solemn rest, a serious. We examine ourselves before our God. We confess our shortcomings before our God. Then we are forgiven, recognizing we have a high priest all the time that we can enter right into the Holy of Holies. But this is the day of atonement. And Jesus is, uh, you know, is given to instructions on how that we should keep it. 
So it means to be down. It means to chasten oneself. And we read that same thing in Leviticus chapter 16. Just turn back a few pages. Leviticus 16. Verse 29, this shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether native or your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be cleansed from all of your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest. See, there again is brought out this solemn rest for God's people. Now, I never really paid much attention to that, that what it meant by solemn rest, until just yesterday. I read that passage. It just dawned on me about that's the only day that I've ever read in the Scriptures where it says a Sabbath of solemn rest. See, And if you don't know what solemn means, look it up. And you'll see what it's talking about, you know, in that situation. So God has put us on a fast before we go to the Feast of Tabernacles. That we are to fast before him and get ourselves right as we go to the feast. Because the feast is a big thing for all of us. And we can all overdo it if we're not careful. We can overdrink, overeat, you see, if we're not careful. Feast can become a food feast. It can become an ocean feast. It can become a mountain feast, you see, instead of God's feast. We go to here be with God wherever He is. We go to be with God. When we were in the Philippines, I went to this one feast site. And they gave me the best room there. All it was is just a straw mattress. They could only take water. They turned the water on for them. Oh, for about 30 minutes, and you get enough then to use the bathroom. You get enough to hopefully wash your face. And our breath is on a beautiful ocean, dilapidated school building. And our brethren had to bring their own chickens, live chickens, had to bring their own food. They didn't have any restaurants around. So we went in there, my wife and I did, and, and, on, and that morning we woke up to this beautiful singing. I mean, it was beautiful. They had killed the chickens, prepared a breakfast, my wife and me. And being from the South, I understood. Of course, usually the Southern people, when they used to prepare a meal, they stand back and watch you eat, watch you enjoy. That's what they did. I felt guilt in a way. You know, we were eating there, and they were watching us eat. But I realized, brethren, just how unconverted I was, in a way. I'd been spoiled to the American way of life. Now, I thought everybody should live like Americans. Then I realized the Bible says, no, you know, it's not the American mind in you. It's not the Filipino mind in you. It's not the white mind. It's not the black mind in you. It has to be the mind of Christ. You see, it has to be his mind. It has to be in us. And no matter where that mind is, you can adapt to whatever God calls you to do. See, wherever the mind is, minds have the mind of Christ. But Christ was always on the move, brethren. 
He was never had no particular place. He was moving all the time helping people. His heart was in the work, the work of God. And when he went to the feast, he went there for a purpose. So we have to have a purpose, and God has to be that purpose if we want to grow and be like him. Now, like I said, there's nothing wrong with the ocean. Every time I go to the feast where there's the ocean, I go out and try to see if I can walk on water. And I've failed every time. I always get up to my ankles. So I'm just trying to direct our thoughts. When we go to the feast, we're going to be with God's people. We're going to serve God's people. We're going to enjoy everything together. See, now I've been feast in the 70s where the, the moment amen was said, people would leave. Wouldn't stay around in fellowship. Go. They had more important things to do. And I thought, well, you save up your money all year. Look forward to the feast, and yeah, you want to get out just as quick as you can. And leave. So you know God watches that. Why is it because they didn't keep the Day of Atonement like they should have or never understood the Day of Atonement? I had an elder friend of mine, he'd go to Jekyll Island, and he was in charge of setting up, and he'd go down before the Day of Atonement. At the beginning of the Day of Atonement that evening, he'd go to bed, he and his family. So he went to bed. Instead of praying or asking God or getting closer to God, he thought he'd just sleep it away. It'd be a lot easier. See, his mind was on himself. On his body, not afflicting his soul like God said. It was all on him trying to save him. He didn't want to suffer. See, some people say, oh, I don't like fast because it gives me a headache. See? Well, I'd rather have a headache is the fire ache. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you understand what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to play that down. But I think the more we understand why we're fasting to God... Beating the self down, denying the headache, denying the pain, denying the hunger, beating that down, chastening ourselves, proving to God that we'll keep his commandments. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read how that God humbled the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 2, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, see, and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see, the whole purpose of that was for God to know if they would keep his commandments. That was a purpose. Did he not know? Well, he humbled them to see. If they would keep his commandments. Then he goes on to show uh, in verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not, uh, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall live, by, not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So he's showing here sometimes we have to put God's word ahead of food. See, 
That God's Word is more important than food. Food just sustains the physical life, but the Word of God sustains the eternal life, which is permanent. So we have to deny self occasionally of food and drink and seek the spiritual food, that we're humbling ourselves so that we don't have to be humbled by God. We're humbling ourselves before Him. And asking, you know, chastening ourselves. I'd rather for him let me do it as him to do it to me, and you? If he tells me how to do it, I'd rather do it. Instead of him saying, all right, I'll chasten you then. I'd hate to have those three choices David had, had to make. But he chose God's way. Even though he had to suffer, he chose God's way. Because God is merciful. So he said, your garments did not wear out. On you, you did, or did your uh, foot swell these 40 years? Now, you would just think anybody would know, I've had the same shoes for 40 years. That'd be tough for some of our ladies today, wouldn't it? (laughs) I've had that same dress on for 40 years. It has wearing out. It does not wear. It, It make you think, well, what is happening? See? What's causing all of this? It's never happened before. See, why all these things are are happening? So God was trying to show them something. Who's in charge of the food? Who's in charge of the clothing? Who's in charge of the house? Is that why Jesus said you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? That man doesn't live by bread alone and he'll give you all these things that your body needs that you don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is just chasten it. Don't let it get out of hand. Don't let it become lustful or greedy. Think about self all the time. Or where my next meal is coming from. The next dollar. Cares of life. So he tested them. He said, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. And why? To see if you shall keep the commandments, verse 6, of the Lord your God, to walk his way and to fear him. So once we leave here, then the test for us, will we keep God's commandments, the feast? Will we fear him? See, that's the test, isn't it? Of chastening oneself to see if we will keep what that feast pictures, the law of God, spreading the word of God, living the word, a new way of life, a new government, new leaders. Or we can go and say, oh, Mr. Mayor's going to preach the same old thing again. I'm so tired of that. Oh, you know, these ministers, I wish they'd get off that subject. It's a test, isn't it? Aren't you glad that you don't have the choice to choose what a minister should say? If you had the choice, somebody else would be mad. If you try to please this group, this group over here would be mad. So you just try to stay in the middle of the aisle there and let both sides be mad. <laughs> but it's, it's this teachable attitude. And Mr. Armstrong, every time he start the two trees... Oh, no, I'm so sick of those two trees. I wish he'd get off those two trees. That's all he talks about is those two trees. And I've seen them get up and walk out. And right out of the church. Right out of the, 
the knowledge they once knew because they were sick of the two trees, but they never did understand them. If they'd understood those two trees, then they would have been after the tree of life. So he said, you don't get it, brethren. And he was right. He would say, half of us were not converted. He got down to 10%. Everybody started looking around. Who is he talking about? He's not talking about me. He was. It depends on how converted we are. What can throw you? What is it that could throw you that you think you're big enough to stand? You don't know what you'll do in that final exam. If you're close to God, you probably know what you do. But if you love your life, you love yourself, you'd probably sell out. It depends on God, isn't it? So the day, this day is so important that we draw closer to the living God away from the God of this world. You can't serve two, Jesus said. You'll either love the one or hate the other. The world hates us. The world hates the Sabbath. The world hates the holy days. So we have nothing in common until their God is removed who begets people by lying. You know, what Satan says about himself is true. But when he applies it to man, it's a lie. He's the one who wants to go to heaven. He's the one who's trying to get up there. And he's deceived man into believing that's where he's going. The lake of fire is not for man, it's for Satan and his demons. That's what the lake of fire is. But he's deceived man into believing that's where he's going to go. Man doesn't have an immortal soul, but Satan has deceived man that he has an immortal soul. And you got to put that soul someplace. If you're good, we'll put you in heaven. If you're bad, we're going to put you in that fire forever and ever. As we heard, uh, I think, the off-tour music about where somebody, and that used to scare me to death. I'd hear this preacher preaching about hell, and I was afraid to walk out the door. They could make it live, you know, just screaming and carrying on. And I thought, that's one place I don't want to go. However, I didn't know for sure how to get to the other place. <laughs> They'd tell me how to get to that place, but they very seldom ever told me how to get to the other place. So when I heard the truth about that, is one of the greatest truths I've heard at that time. And we're not going to heaven. We're not going to burn forever. And there's hope for everybody. What a joy that was to receive that message. Free from Satan's lies, see. That had begotten me by a lie. Told me lies. I wanted to hear lies. I always wanted to hear lies. That's Satan's world. They want to hear lies. Tell them lies. However, we're learning to hate that. We're learning to hate what God hates and love what God loves. So we live in a world that's cut off from God. We're not cut off from God. We have His Spirit. And God teaches us and helps us through that Spirit. So without this vital contact of God's Holy Spirit, man is in abysmal ignorance of his calling. He has no concept of God at all. Who God is, what God is, what God's plan is. 
has no concept, complete ignorance. Brethren, we know that God's way is to educate man about God, who he is, to fulfill man's purpose, his destiny, his heritage. God is educating us, helping us to see that through education, through knowledge, through sermons, through understanding. True religion is for man, man to become born again sons of God. So God tells us in these steps how to do it. See, we understand learning more and more how to do it through the steps that God has laid out for us. By coming to a holy assembly, by listening to the sermons, applying those sermons, drawing closer to God, becoming wiser in the decisions that we have to make. And that's God's true religion for us. Satan's religion is to blind you or me of our purpose, of our destiny, of our heritage, to blind us of that, you see. But as I mentioned, what he says about himself is true. See, But when he applies it to man, he's a liar. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. And what Jesus said about him. And Jesus knew him, his motives, Luke 4, verse 6. It's a conversation between, you know, the two gods in one way, the God of this world and the God that was coming to change the world. So Satan tried to assure him that all of these nations are mine. They've been given to me. All these nations I had in mind, I have all authority, you know, over these nations. So let me just read here. Verse 5 of chapter 4. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. Well, who gave him that? Well, God did. When he was Lucifer. And God has not taken that away from him yet. So he has the authority then over the nations. And he said, Christ, I'll give it to you. And we know in the end, the beast power, this guy's going to accept that authority to be over these nations. He'll accept Satan's authority. See, in that end time, because it's his to give at that time. He said, and I will give it to whomever I wish, the last part of that sentence. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Then Jesus answered and said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. You shall serve. And that's when Jesus was at his strongest point, apparently, after 40 days. Now, I believe he was not just tempted on that 40 days, but he was tempted every day 40 days, every day by Satan. See, the temptation was there for him. He became stronger. The deeper and the fast, the stronger he became. And even though he was hungry. But it's more important to him to stay focused on his father, his mission, what God had given him to do than on his stomach. See, So Satan tried to appeal to that vanity 
of authority, which the Father had not given to Christ, see, he will give it to Christ at that time and to us. Once Satan and his demons are bound, you know. Then he said, get behind me, Satan. And that's one thing about the Philadelphia church is being taken to a place of safety. Satan is behind them, you see. He's not in front of them. He's behind them like he was behind Christ. So God has given us that power if we are faithful in preaching that gospel and backing up the leaders of the Philadelphia area. He's given us that promise that Satan will be behind us, not in front of us. It's a different from the other attitude. Rich and increase the goods, all self, all the flesh. Satan is in front of them. Then he turns from the church he cannot get. Head on to the, fir- the, the church there he's going to kill. Because it's all flesh in one way, even though they keep God's commandments and faith. They still did not understand their purpose. And apparently that's their calling. Who knows? There's a certain number has to be killed, according to chapter 6, the fifth seal. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. See how he twists the Scriptures, trying to get Jesus to sin, trying to get him to show who he is. Well, you're not going to get hurt if you say who you are. You're not. Just jump off. Let people see. And you're, and he just kept saying, get behind me, Satan. He kept his eyes focused on his calling, on the spiritual brethren. Satan was tempting him not only the physical things he could see, and he refused that. And so we learn a lesson Really a true lesson on this day. If we keep our eyes on God, we have less pain, less hunger. See, if we understand the spiritual part of the day, and it is a feast day, but it is a solemn, serious day for us as well. Now we read in John chapter 8. What Jesus said about Satan. John chapter 8. For you are, verse 44, for you are of your father, the devil, the desires of your father, you will, you want to do. He was the murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So he can just pump in us, hate somebody, disagree with somebody. You don't understand me. It can just keep building and building and building in someone until they actually commit murder in their heart. We somebody's not around. We have to be around that person. Now see, that's not God's love. It's Satan pumping that attitude into the mind. And the more you think about it, the more depressed you become. The more you think about someone has mistreated me, the more depressed you become. 
Everybody's been mistreated for a purpose to see what we would do. See if we take matters in our own hand, take vengeance, quit, give up. Brethren, where would somebody go if they leave the truth? They have to go back to the liar. He's a liar and father of lies. It's either truth or lie. If you go back to the world, you're going back to liars. You have to be a liar. Because that's all the world knows. It's founded on a lie. The God is a liar. He begets people with lies. God begets us with truth. He calls us out of that lie into truth. That we may understand His glorious purpose for us. How thankful, brethren, I know all of us are. The truth keeps us free. I go to church to hear the truth, not to hear lies. Don't you, don't you want to hear the truth when you go to, don't you want to hear the truth when you go to Feast of Tabernacles? Hear the truth? Well, I do. I don't want to go hear lies. You go to some of these funerals, these Protestant funerals, you have to sit through a lie, don't you? You know the truth. But you see, they can't speak the truth because the truth is not in them. They don't know the truth. So Jesus here said, there is no truth in Satan. Was there ever truth in him? Did he leave the truth? Or was he free to choose? God created the angels so they could choose, you see. They could choose. They could make decisions, come to conclusions. But don't you believe, think about this, that when God created the angels, they didn't know who God was. You know, that's the first time they saw him. So he had to teach them, apparently, who he was and what he was, why they were created. And he brought into existence then the earth and the universe as further teaching, as further instruction for their purpose through knowledge, through, through education. Then he trusted them to carry on what he had taught, carry on his lifestyle of giving, sharing, obedience. So that's the way it is. You know, in Proverbs chapter 6, these six things or seven things God said he hated. Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discords among the brethren. God hates that. We need to hate that. We need to hate what God hates, those six things, or seven things, you see. God is light. God is love. God is good. Satan is in spiritual darkness. Satan is evil. They have nothing in common. God's word, God's world, 
This world has nothing in common. We're opposite. Not that we're better, we're still flesh. But we have a high priest who makes intercessions for us. When we do slip, because we are flesh, we do chasten ourselves. We don't harden ourselves, we chasten ourselves. We evaluate the self, even though we may not understand it. Someone points out a fault, we may not understand it. You can't see it, so you have to be patient and assume that person is correct and begin to work on self, you see, begin to deny that. If not, we would have an old teacher. So Christ has made it possible for us to become at one with God. You know, we quote that scripture, John three sixteen. Just about everybody quote that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And we know that Christ shed his blood, according to 1 John chapter 1, for our sins. That we go right into the Holy of Holies. Christ's blood has covered our sins, gives us access through the high priest right to the Father. Anytime we want it. We need it every day. The sins of omission. You know, I try to think, and I'm not trying to be self-right, what did I omit that I could have done I didn't do? That I procrastinated? And I thought, well, I should have visited that person. Why didn't I? I should have encouraged that individual. Why didn't I? I omitted something. So he asked God to forgive you. And what was more important? Omission, you see. And understanding what God has given us to do. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews 9, No, Paul describes the high priest. The Old Testament was a pattern of the reality, or copy of the reality. Everything we see here is really not real. It's just temporary. It's a shadow of things that are above. Heaven is real. Where heaven is, the rivers in heaven are real. It talks about streets of gold. And all of those things down here is a pattern or a copy of the real things that are permanent. Here is just temporary. It's all going to disappear. See, And people who put their trust in a shadow, not the real thing, you see, and when that shadow is removed, they have nothing left. So our trust is above where God is, where that throne is, where the temple is. The temple on earth is just a copy of the temple in heaven. All all things are just copies here on earth. The real thing, the real substance is heaven. Where Jesus is, what does he do? Set your heart and mind on things that are real. See, they're real there. Here is not real. We think it's real. But everything decays. Everything. There's no 150-year-old people. There's no too many houses standing that's 300 years old. The highways tear up. There's nothing real. Now, we think it is, but 
temporary. We're all going to die. We take nothing with us. No matter what I accumulate in this life, I take nothing with me except character. That character is real. See, character that cannot be bought, something you cannot inherit, is something you have to make, you have to do. You can't buy it, you can't inherit, inherit it. So it's all real above. Then verse 22, he says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified or cleansed with the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So all the animal sacrifices led to the real sacrifice, Jesus Christ. All the animal blood led to the real blood of Jesus Christ. The high priest was the temporary or the high priest of Christ. The temple was, uh, was a temple there as a pattern of things above. A copy. The real thing is in heaven. Christ is in heaven, our high priest. He is real. See, He's not temporary. Therefore, it was necessary that the copy, you see the copies, of the things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, you know, the physical temple, which are copies, see, of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear before in the presence of God for us. And he can, appears for us. He's our high priest that we use him, ask him for his shed blood to cover our sins, to make an atonement for us. To keep us at one with God. See, that we are at one, we're walking with Him, walking with God. As Mr. Meredith said so many times, I bet if he said it one time, he's probably said it 10,000 times. Walking with God. Study. Be like God. Conform to be like God. That is real. See, this day is real. In one way, but it's a copy, isn't it? Of things to come. Of when the reality happens, when Jesus binds Satan for that 1,000 years. And there will only be one God. And we even sing about that. One government. One spirit. During that 1,000 year period. So it's without the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified or separated, that are being sanctified, separated. From what? Well, set apart from this world by truth. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. In their minds, I will write them. Then he added, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And I believe all too often we think about yesterday's sins. Are the sins we committed before we were called? Are last month's sins or last year's sins? They're all forgotten. They've all been covered by the blood of Christ. We don't have to worry about them. 
If we truly have repented, we're being sanctified, we don't have to think, we can't live yesterday. We can't live last month. We can't live tomorrow. It hasn't come. We live today. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The day is important. The day, you see, is the day of salvation. You can't live tomorrow. It's not here. Does tomorrow ever come? When it is tomorrow, it's tomorrow, isn't it? But we tend to live too much in the past, see, past sins or whatever, kicking ourselves instead of going forward, not looking back like Locke's wife did. Go forward. Then nothing can take away what you know. You have to fight to keep it. Satan will try his best in his demons to take it from you, to make you angry. To make you feel guilty, like nobody cares. Become depressed. That's his philosophy. God's philosophy is different. He wants us to rejoice in the truth. Rejoice in his holy days, his feast days, his Sabbath. So much that we want to be here. And we'll do anything to get here. In Nashville, we had a person who rode the bus. Both are almost crippled, could barely walk. They would come and catch a bus and come to church every Sabbath. This man could speak five languages. His wife had a brain damage. She had almost drowned in a swimming pool. And he married her. He took care of her. Every Sabbath he was there and she was there. By bus. Some people didn't want to go by and pick them up. It's just too much trouble, you see. Just too much trouble to bring someone like that for church, to let them hear the Word of God, let them fellowship. Otherwise, they'd just be at home, but they couldn't drive, just in a little old small room, looking at that, longing for the church. Sometimes that's sin of omission. Sometimes we have to go an extra 50 miles. We have to do things that are against our pride. Go where we maybe don't want to go. But we go for God's people, for God's sake. So he said, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now there, now where there is remission of those, they are no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy by the blood of Jesus, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he concentrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. You see, he's our high priest and that we can go to him. So let me ask a question. The world is not ready to give up its sins. What about you and me? What sin are we not willing to give up? What is it that we don't want to overcome or grow? We have to ask ourselves the question, are we walking with God? Do we agree with God's church? Do we agree with the decisions of God's church? We have to ask ourselves those questions this last day of atonement. How far we've come, spiritually speaking, since that last time.
We have to reflect over our past year of life, how we've lived that year. How much have we lived that year in prayer, Bible study, coming to church services, helping each other, encouraging each other, saving our tithe, doing those things that are pleasing in God's sight? We have to ask ourselves those questions. And today is a good day to ask. Today is a good day to reflect on those questions, you see, because God will ask us. Have we poured ourselves into our calling? Is God's work the most important thing in your life? Finishing what he's given us to do. See, it takes work. It takes sacrifice to finish God's work. Now, I'm going to say this about Dr. Meredith because I need a raise. <laughs> I tell him I, I don't know how he does it all, you know. He could have given up. He could have said, fellas, you know, I just can't do it anymore. He could have quit. But once he gets behind this microphone, and, you know, last Sunday's telecast, I'm sorry I didn't get to see it, but my wife did. said that was the strongest, the best telecast there. See, I heard a lot of people say that. It shows that God is using us in spite of us, in spite of how we look, Spite of self, it's God in us that's speaking. So it's time for self-examination, to beat down the self, to base the self, to humble the self before our great God. You remember the example of humility when the priest or the Pharisee judged everybody but himself? But the sinner just smoked himself and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He judged himself. He didn't judge the Pharisee. He judged himself. And Jesus said he went down justified. If we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. If we judge somebody else, we're going to be judged. So that example of humility. And we have to remember, brethren, there's no world tomorrow without the Day of Atonement, without Satan being put away. And we know trumpets was the beginning of Satan's end. And Jesus comes with all that power and all that demonic power will be unleashed. But we will have the power to take over our positions that God has promised us. And we'll learn more about that at the Feast of Tabernacles. So after the day, let's go to the Feast of Tabernacles rejoicing and thank God we have the opportunity to be together for eight days. And let's take advantage of those eight days at the Feast of Tabernacles.